Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. the stuff I'd like to share with you today. <laughs> In the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse number 7. And so I will just say this today. And we want the Lord to have his will and his way. And so if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to join me in Galatians 6 and 7. The scripture here says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now very often when we go to Galatians 6 and 7, what we're really wanting to kind of focus on many times, most speakers and teachers and things of that nature, is the law of the harvest. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Today I want to change things up just a little bit, and I want to talk about the first part of this scripture. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Amen. I just want to speak today against the spirit of deception. Amen. We are living in a very deceptive hour, very deceptive time. And I want to speak to that end. Amen. You've been so kind to stand. You can be seated if you'd like. And let's just join together for the word of the Lord and ask God to make every step of this journey with us. You know, the authenticity of the Word of God is often questioned, especially in the world in which we live today. There are many things that I believe validate the Word of the Lord, and we could probably spend a lot of time talking about that this morning. But I would just say, if I could maybe say it in a, in a place, then putting this thought on a middle shelf where all can reach it, I believe that one of the reasons that the Word of God is valid is because the scripture makes no pains, it makes no effort to hide the mistakes of some of its greatest characters. And uh, so it is not a book that is slanted to, to just in favor of everyone and we only look at their great moments and that moment when they're at their complete zenith. A quick study of the word of God, if the names of the word of God, if we could... If you're familiar with your scriptures, then uh, if, uh, you would know this. If you're not, I will just tell you that in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, most Bibles at the heading of chapter 11 in Hebrews has something like this, a title that says, The Roll Call of the Heroes of Faith. It may not be those words, but uh, it'll be words akin to that. And so here are the heroes. So we would think, well, if this is the heroes, if somehow you made it to Hebrews 11, if you had this honorable mention, then there is surely not a chink in your armor, not a wrinkle in your garment. I mean, you've just got it all together. But if you do a quick study of the book of Hebrews, many years ago I did a series entitled What It Takes to Be a Hero. And I just taught about the heroes, the heroes in, listed in, in Hebrews 11. And I think if you look through those names, we can validate a point here today. Uh, 
As a matter of fact, I believe, and Brother Rayleigh was very candid with us this morning about the spirit of prejudice and how if we're not careful, we can judge a book by its cover and judge something too soon. I was sharing a story with uh, someone just a couple of days ago, and uh, I was in a service. I'm going to confess here today. I'm not going to give more specifics than I think are necessary, lest you use it against me later. <laughs> I was in a service one particular time, and and things were not really going uh, what I it, that was not what I was expecting. I thought we were going to one thing, kind of turned out to be another. And so the person that I was with, I took a little piece of paper out of my Bible and I wrote these words, I think we goofed. And I just held it over there and I thought we have made a real mistake. And uh, in just a little bit that the complexion of all of that changed and the spirit of the Lord began to move in such a powerful way. I had no idea that in the course of that day I was, I was meeting a person that would become today a lifetime friend and things of that nature. And so in one of my Bibles, that particular Bible, that note is still in my Bible. And I left it there because it was a life lesson. I judged something before its time. And uh, so I left that there to remind me, don't judge something before it's time. But we're human. And so Brother Rayleigh mentioned that. And so sometimes we assess things and we draw a conclusion before the end of a matter. And so if we were going to be rewriting the Bible, there's probably a few people that we would leave out of that. We might gloss over their names kind of like they never existed because we just sort of don't want to go there and highlight some, you know, highlight some of those seedier moments. Uh, there's probably uh, people in this building, I'm going to ask you not to respond a whole lot here, but um, there's probably people in this building that have family members you don't talk about a whole lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there, there are people that walk up to you on the street and say, hey, uh, are you related to so-and-so? And we follow that with a, a, not an answer, but with another question. We say, who wants to know? <laughs> who, who's asking this question? I mean, the last thing I want to do is somebody say, get your hands up, you know. <laughs> we <don't, laughs> we're going to frisk you. And so, so that's why I say that if we were rewriting the Bible, if we were rewriting the scripture, we may want to skip over a, a, a few instances of people that are in the Bible because there are some less than stellar moments of people's lives that are just listed right there for us to behold. I mean, Moses, one of the greatest leaders, certainly, of all the scripture, God has him in the pipeline to lead the children of Israel out and he murdered an Egyptian. Well, we'd like to leave that out of the resume. We'd just like to talk about the wonderful things that he did, not the mistakes that he made or how that Samson, an anointed young man, even before his birth, at his birth, certainly, he and his mother taking a Nazarite vow and Samson doing everything within his power to violate that vow again and again and again, touching dead things, uh, allowing his hair to be cut and and uh, and fraternizing with women of the night and things of that nature, we would we would probably want to gloss over. We'd like to talk about that Joel bone part. We'd like to talk about the places where he lifted the gates of the city and carried them to the top of the hill, but we would probably omit some of that. David was a great leader. God ordained from his youth, but he had an affair. Elijah, a man chosen of God 
in one moment, he's on top of Mount Carmel and he is the leader of leaders. He is the man of the hour. He's on the cover of Time Magazine. But just a few pages in, he's under a juniper tree saying, Lord, it is enough. Just take me. I've had all I can take. Jonah. Jonah got marching orders to go preach a revival and he was the maddest preacher we've ever seen in all the scripture. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to preach. He was mad on the way there. He was mad after he got there. He was mad when he left. We wouldn't want to talk about those things. Simon Peter, that chosen man of God, hand-picked chosen man of God, denied the Lord and cursed. Judas betrayed him. And you know there's a lot more names that we could throw in this pot. But the, the Bible is unapologetic about showing the faults and the sins of its heroes. And I think it's God's way of letting us know that the Lord is not in the business of just finding perfect people and only using perfect people. And I'm just gonna raise my hand today and say thank you, Lord. Because if you are using perfect people, I would not be holding this microphone and I would not be behind this sacred desk today. Amen, God can take the brokenness in our own lives and he can use it for his glory. And I'm gonna tell you that some of the very storms in lives that are represented here today and others that will watch and hear this message in time to come, some of the greatest storms in your life are those very tools that God has equipped you with and armed you with right now. And some of you are using that to the glory of God. You're not uh, trying to stand on a soapbox and, and trying to, to highlight some of your worst moments, but in, in private sessions or in close conversations with people, you can sit down and look them eye to eye and you can put your hand on their shoulder and you can say, I have been right where you've been. I have walked through the storm that you're walking through and I just want to tell you that you can make it through this. You can, I am living proof that you can. That's not boasting in you, that is boasting in the goodness of God. Amen, God heals and restores broken people and many of those broken people are, are bringing healing and, and, uh, and hope to others. I believe some of the main characters in the word of the Lord uh, failed in a major or a public way and yet despite that, God used them, them for his glory. And so I am thankful that God uses imperfect people. My wife has a book, it's quite an old book, but the title of the book is God Uses Cracked Pots. Not cracked pots necessarily, but cracked pots. And it's from those cracked vessels, those well-worn vessels that God can place his hand and mend what is wrong and help us. And, and there's one, uh, one character in the Old Testament who seemed, you know, it was just a shining star. He was just a, a man, a man, a young man in, in the beginning, of course, like many, but God used him and, and this man just seemed to have it all together. And that man's name is Joshua. Joshua served as an assistant to this man, Moses. Now we don't, owe, we don't really actually know a whole lot about Joshua. We don't know a whole lot about his heritage. We don't know a lot about his pedigree. Really, the only thing we know by way of that is that the Bible says he was the son of Nun. And that's how much we know about his father, Nun. <laughs> we, we know here's, just, here's, here's Joshua, here's the son of Nun. That, that, that doesn't give us much to work on. Here's Joshua. 
The Bible says the son of none. Amen. However, things that are in the scripture are not there for our entertainment. They're not there to just bedazzle us. The Bible is, is there and written for our admonition. It is written for our direction. It is written for our hope. In samples, the scripture refers to that. Joshua is proof that the call of God is not just to the qualified. I really want to speak to somebody today. God is not just looking for the qualified. He's looking for the willing. Somebody that says, I am willing to go. I will do that. And I'll tell you, if we'll be willing, even if we're unqualified, God will qualify us on the journey. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Amen. I will tell you today, our church family knows this. Uh, Obviously, I speak publicly, not only in this pulpit, but I've been by the grace of God blessed to be able to preach in other pulpits. But the first time I ever got up to do anything publicly, it was to sing a song and I fainted dead out. Amen. So God doesn't call the qualified. He didn't call me because I was a great singer, because I was a great orator. God didn't see some seed in me as a young man and said, you know what? I mean, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And we're going to just make something of him. I will just tell you, I'm thankful for a merciful God. I'm going to take that one step further. I'm thankful. I'm actually pastoring the very church I fainted in. And so, I'm, <laughs> and so I'm very thankful for an understanding and a compassionate church that says, you know what? We're just going to resuscitate him. <laughs> Somebody bring him some water. Somebody get him a chair. Somebody prop him up. And they kept believing in me and <laughs> hold, holding me up. I'll get back to the scripture in just a minute. Amen. They kept believing in me and they kept holding me up. And who knew? Who knew that the Lord would bring this first full circle? What I'm trying to tell you is that somewhere along the line, if you just keep raising your hand and say, Lord, I'm willing. And I see a gap between where I am and where I want to be, but I'm willing, Lord, I'm willing. And so if we'll just say, God, I trust you to take care of filling in those blank spaces. I trust you to take what I am not and make me what you need to be. Amen. And so here is this hand-picked man. Uh, Moses has hand-picked Joshua to lead the troops into battle. He's handpicked him to lead him against Israel's new enemy, and that is the Amalekites. Joshua led the men into battle while Moses climbed the mountain. And at the end of the battle, Israel and Joshua won. Next, Moses handpicked Joshua to climb another mountain with him. This was the second mountain, except this time, the, Moses said I, to Joshua, I want you to go part of the way up the mountain and you stop about halfway, and I'm going on to the top of the mountain. And Moses climbed alone that next journey and spent some time in the presence of God. When Moses came back down the mountain, he rejoined himself to Joshua, and about that time, they both started hearing a little bit of noise in the camp. Amen. Joshua thought it was war, but Moses knew better. Joshua thought it was the sounds of a battle, but, but, but Moses said, no, that's the sound of sin. That is the sound of sin in the camp. And Joshua and Moses walked down the mountain to see God's people dancing unrestrained and unclothed in front of a golden calf. Later, Joshua went with Moses into the tabernacle to talk to God. And even when Moses came out of the tent, Joshua stayed inside. There was just something inside the heart of Joshua that said, you know what, if God is a part of this, I want to be a part of this. Joshua was a man, I believe it could be said, 
it's not said in scripture, I don't mean to add to, but I believe it could be said of Joshua that he too was a man after God's own heart. If God is a part of it, I wanna be a part of it. And then all of a sudden, as we are thumbing our way through the scriptures, it just seems as though the volume of Joshua's life is turned to zero. Without notice, years pass. I would say even, dare say that decades pass that we do not even hear from Joshua. For Joshua, it's decades, year after year after year of just living faithfully and trusting God. His name is not in the headline. His name is not flashing apart across the marquee. He's not making journeys to the mountain with Moses now. He's not even making half journeys up the mountain with Moses. He's not going into the tabernacle. It just grows silent. But I am convinced that it was decades of Joshua just staying faithful, just doing what he knew to do. Amen, I could pause right here and preach another message and just ask us what can we do when we're not holding the mic. Amen, how are we living when we're not, when, when we are not in this key, in the center of, of it all. Amen, but then Moses and Israel come to the border of the promised land and God now is about to pull Joshua from out of the midst of those common men. Moses once again handpicks Joshua to go with 10 others to spy out the promised land. Of course, Joshua and Caleb were the only two who come back with a faithful report. They were absolutely sure in their heart of hearts that God was going to give them the land that he had promised all the way back to Abraham. However, their faith-filled vote was not enough. It was not enough to drown out the voices of the other 10 doubters that filled the room. So for their doubt, God said, I will let you walk for the next 40 years and you will come past the mountain again and again and again until, until this generation is laid to rest. And so you will, as you stated, you will not be able to see the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, I'm gonna preserve you men. I'm gonna preserve you men. I'm not suggesting they didn't age, but I'm gonna tell you when you hear them men speak, when you hear Caleb, he said, I was this old when it happened and I'm this old today, but I'm gonna tell you there's something in my heart that is as strong today as it has ever been. I believe God preserves something in their heart. Their skin may have been more wrinkled. Their eyes may have been more deep. Their ears may not have been what it had been 40 or so years before, but God said, I'm gonna let that young, faithful heart beat in your chest. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. We have gotta have the power of God and the hand of God to be upon our lives. And so the Lord said, I will just let their doubt die in the wilderness. <coughs> and uh, everyone, everyone died but Joshua and Caleb. Now, here is Moses facing the final chapters of his life. Time, just time alone has slow walked him down as it does for all. It was time for him to meet God for good. Therefore, Israel was gonna need a new leader and it just seemed like an obvious choice, Brother Williams. I know, I know who to choose. I know a man who was faithful with me when he was in the public eye and I know a man that's been faithful to me when he was buried under the minutia of day-to-day -day work and just living for God. I know where he is. I've got his address. I'm gonna pull him out. Joshua was chosen by God to fill the, the shoes of the spiritual leader Moses and Joshua did 
indeed do a wonderful job. He led Israel across Jordan on dry ground. Joshua led the children of Israel to undergo a victory against the great walled city of Jericho. Even when Israel sinned after Jericho, if you remember that Achan took some things that didn't belong to him and hid them in a tent, and now they're fighting a small battle in Ai, and they're getting slaughtered, and they don't know what to do, and Joshua went to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord said, there is sin in the camp, and Joshua went and he handily dealt with the sin in the camp. He righted what was wrong and led Israel to yet again another victory. It just seems like Joshua could do no wrong. And this brings us to the book of Joshua chapter 9. The conquering of Jericho and the victory of Ai had become the talk of the town and the talk of the community. And this word had made it to Gibeon. And these men knew that if, we, if we've got this figured right, we're, in, we're next. We're going to be in the path. We're going to be in the line of these people that are coming. And they're conquering cities. And they're conquering towns. And so they put their minds together. And, the, and, and, and in Gibeon, these people, uh, they, they, got, they come up with a plan to make peace with Israel. And so if you look at a few verses, it is a very clever, uh, very wily, a very slippery uh, thing, if you, if you please. But in, in Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, I'm not going to read them verbatim, but you can see one of the most devious plots of all time. So here they are, they're next door neighbors. Let's just kind of put this in perspective, if I may. They're next door neighbors, and they're going because they realize these people are after us, and they're going to, they're going to annihilate us. And so they loaded their donkeys down, and they put on their donkeys old weathered saddlebags and old vessels. The whole water were called wine skins, and it literally was skin. And so they put on worn out sandals and they put on threadbare clothes and they even packed loaves of bread that was already dry and bread that was already moldy. And they rode just 20 short miles. Amen. They rode 20 short miles right there to, to meet with, with Joshua. And now we need to remember that these were the new neighbors. They, these were the new neighbors. And, and uh, now when they rode in, they introduced themselves as a band of people that lived miles and miles and miles away. Pretty clever. They let them know that the word, that the word of Israel's God had reached all the way where we live. So they said, we are coming with a preemptive strike of peace. This is what we're going to do. And Joshua and his men were suspicious. And they said, well, how do we know? How do we know that you live in this far off distant country? And how do you know that you're not, that, how do we know that you're not just trying to trick us? And, and so that's when they reached now for their sermon illustrations. And so you see this old moldy bread? Well, this bread was hot when we left home. You see these sandals we're wearing? You see all the patches on the bottom of these sandals? I just got these sandals for my birthday. And they were brand new when I left home. You see this robe I got on that's all threadbare and the elbows are all worn out? This was brand new when I left home. Amen. So they thought, well, you know, we, we got it all together and, and we're going to just prove that we are no threat to you whatsoever. Amen. So we understand going back now, if we can, to Joshua 
Up to this point, Joshua was a man who prayed before he made any decision. We can find that in his life along with many others. This is the first and perhaps the scripture that I'm talking to you about today was the first and perhaps the only place where we can ever find Joshua making a bad decision. Before this time, he prayed and God would tell him what, he was, what to do. Amen. Before he was about to make a major decision in his life, he would seek the will and the counsel of God. And I will just pass that on today. I think that's good wisdom for all of us. Before I make any major decision in my life, before you make a major decision in your life, we ought to pray and ask God. Not come into a prayer room and say, here's what I want to do and I need you to sign off on this. But here's what, I, I need some guidance and direction. And God is able to give us direction when we don't know what to do. He, amen, he knows, the, he, he doesn't just know the way that we, we take, amen, but he knows the way that we should take. He knows what is right and what is wrong. And so I always want to pray for direction in my life whenever, especially I am making major decisions. Amen, there's, there's some things that we need to pray about. There's other things we probably don't need to pray about. I've got, I've got your curiosity now, don't I? Amen. I'll just say this. If you can't afford it, there's no need to pray about that. God's already using your wallet and bank account to speak to you. <laughs> Amen. If it's a new job or promotion that's going to take you away from your church and it's going to take you away from your family. Amen. There's not a raise. There's not a promotion. There's not a title. There's not a perk. There's not a benefit that'll ever be able to buy back what you're going to lose. Amen. If that person that you're thinking about dating or maybe even thinking about marrying, if they're not living for God, amen, that's not God's will for you. If they don't share the same convictions you have, about, about serving God and the things of God, that's not the right person for you. Amen. I've never made a decision that I regretted when I asked God first. But I have made a few decisions that I regretted when I didn't ask God first. Asking for and following God's plan for our lives doesn't assure or ensure, if I may say, smooth sailing, but it does tell me this, that if I'm in the will of God, he's gonna be with me Amen. The disciples found themselves in the storm, in a boat, almost to lose their lives, but they were still in the will of God. He was with them in the storm. Simon Peter got out of the boat into a storm, but he was in the will of God because the Lord was with him in the storm. And can I tell you, we have all been in our own personal storms. We weren't out of the will of God. Amen. We were right where God wanted us to be, and he said, I'm going to hold your hand through this storm. The story with Joshua should, I think, bring a keen sense of awareness to us all. Amen. I read this and I have to ask myself, why, why, didn't, why didn't Joshua pray right here? I mean, Joshua made an assessment of the worn out sandals. Joshua looked at the dry and moldy bread. Joshua looked at the worn and tattered clothes. Amen. But he never asked a thing when he saw all of the wares these people bought. Now, I don't say this to sound judgmental because I say this because God has a proven track record. For instance, Joshua prayed when they were going to cross the Jordan River and when he did, God told him what to do step by step. Am I right? Yes, the 12 stones in the river. Amen. He told him exactly what's going to happen. Build, use those stones to build a monument. He said, and, and this is going to be different now. They've crossed water before. They've crossed impossible 
barriers of water before the Red Sea. And he told Moses at that moment, lift your staff and hold it out over the water. And the water parted back. They were going to have to cross Jordan River, but it was going to be different. But God told him, and he said, but as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest touch the water, those waters are going to go back. And that's exactly what happened. He asked God about Jericho. And, the, and what are we going to do? And the Lord told him, he said, you march around these walls seven days. And then on the seventh day, you march around seven times. And when you get around that the last time, then he said, you blow the trumpet and you shout unto the Lord. Very, very specific instructions. Even when they lost the battle of Ai, he needed to go to God for insight. And the Lord gave him exactly what he needed. Amen. He gave him exactly where he needed to go to find what was wrong. And they took care of it in short order. Maybe he thought that, that these trusty detectives would just examine the evidence and, 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 and maybe just take a bite of the moldy bread or, or try to determine somehow if these men were telling the truth. And Joshua maybe in his own human, human manner thought, well, you know, maybe these are just good guys or maybe what would it hurt? But here's the problem. Here's the rub. God had commanded Joshua and Moses before him he said, when you get to Canaan, you get all of the enemy out of Canaan. And I want to tell you today, there's a lot of people that are just saddling up to sinful things. And they're saying, I don't see where this will hurt. This bread don't look too moldy for me. I don't see what could possibly be wrong with this. Amen. You know, when we think about some of the battles that we have to face, sometimes we're facing battles because they weren't dealt with. We're still facing battles in our life because they weren't dealt with up front. Just go ahead and take it all out, and then you won't have to deal with that in your future and so he said get rid of all the inhabitants of the land and so he said I want you to do so and here's why the Lord the Lord wasn't on some bloodthirsty tangent here's what he said he said I, I, I want you to take out all the inhabitants of the land lest Israel begin to allow their sons and daughters to marry into this and after a while we're going to have something on our hands we can't reckon with because there's going to be two uh, different versions of, of religion sitting at a table. There's going to be two different versions of things that are in under the same roof and this is not going to work. Amen. The Hivites turned Israel's heart toward their God. We, we see that in scripture and in Judges 3 tells us they did. Three days after their little peace treaty, Joshua and the army they kept moving because they were taking the land of Canaan. And so after this peace treaty they, cut, they start moving. When they start moving they come into Gibeon. Oddly enough. And when they did, Joshua starts looking around and he starts recognizing a few faces. Joshua realized, too late, I have made a massive mistake. These people don't live days and days and days and days away. They're 20 miles down the road. They're our closest neighbor. And we have been deceived. They weren't for miles away. They lived in the land that God had told them to inherit. And so rather than break the covenant, Amen. I don't want to try to get into all that. Joshua forced them to become slaves and Israel went back to the camp at Gilgal and that's where the mistake of, of them not seeking God first began to bite them. One of the messengers of Gibeon came riding into Gilgal. I mean, he's coming in with everything he has and he has a message that Gibeon was under attack. 
that five Amorite kings have joined together to attack Gibeon. And listen to the request. They said, this is the enemy now. They had made a treaty, a peace treaty with the children of God and with Joshua. They said, don't abandon your servants. Come once and save us. They weren't their servants. They were supposed to be their enemy. Are you hearing me today? I believe that if we're not careful, we're gonna validate some sin. We're gonna validate some things in our own life. And you gotta be careful what you're holding hands with because that thing you're holding hands with, I'm not talking about a person Amen, I might be, but I could be, but the Lord may be. But that thing you're holding that thing you're holding hands with may come back and say, but wait a minute, you adopted me, you embraced me, and now you need to defend me, and you need to protect me. I tell you today, God help us to understand there's a spirit of deception in this world. How clever it was to drive up there with moldy bread and say it was hot when we left home. How clever it was to come up there with worn sandals and worn clothes and say this was all brand new when we left home and they took it at face value. Can I tell you, you don't ever take the devil at face value. He is not your friend. Amen, he is not your friend. He doesn't work like this. Some people think if I leave the devil alone, he'll leave me alone. That's not how it works, friend. Amen, that's not how it works. I say, Lord, get me, help me to get the sin out of my life and keep it out of my life. Help me to get evil out of my heart and my mind and keep it out of my heart and my mind. I'm praying, Lord, don't let me be deceived in the hour in which we're living. Don't let me be deceived just because something comes in the cloak of religion, just because something comes in the cloak of church, just because something comes in the cloak of ministry. I don't wanna look through the wares and say, well, this looks valid, this smells right, this seems right. I wanna get on my knees and say, Lord, I need you to anoint my mind. Help me to lead my family in the right path. Help me to lead our church in the right path. Oh, Lord, strengthen us and help us to know right from wrong. Praise God. Praise God. And here's where it comes. And I, I, I will draw this to a close if our musicians will come. They rode all night from Gilgal. When they got to Gibeon, they took five army leagues by surprise and they forced them to retreat. And God being God... Can I just ask you, has God ever helped you out of the mess that he had nothing to do with? You got yourself in it. I got myself in it. God being God just comes to our help and rescue. And as they retreated, God rained down hailstones so that more of them, the scripture says, died by the hailstones than died by the sword. And then... On another layer of miracle, Joshua realized I'm running out of daylight. I'm not going to be able to finish this battle because the sun is setting on me. And he prayed for God to keep the sun in the sky so that they wouldn't have time to retreat. And God heard Joshua and answered his prayer and kept the sun shining long enough for Israel to win and the Amorites to lose. At the end of the day, probably what some suppose the longest day in the history of Israel, Israel rode back to the camp at Gilgal. God had performed miracles for Joshua and Israel, but here's, these were miracles he really didn't have to perform. This was mercy he didn't have to extend. 
But God was gracious and he rained down hell and he halted the sun so that Israel could win. But here's, here's the question that I ask. We don't know the answer to this, so I just pose the question. I wonder how many Israelites died that day defending Gibeon. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us how many were destroyed because they were defending an army and fighting a battle that they should have never been in. Well, some, you know, we could suppose, well, maybe it could have been a thousand. Somebody could say, well, it might have just been one. Can I tell you, if it was only one, it was one too many. They should have never been there. This is not a battle that we should have even been fighting. The Lord had already spoken to Moses and the Lord had already spoken to Joshua and said, just get rid of it. And you won't have to deal with this. But they were deceived. They were deceived because for the first time we can ever find in scripture, Joshua made a decision without prayer. He just made a decision like we make decisions. This looks right. This seems right. Amen. My, my. So here's what I believe the story teaches and I'll ask you to stand. Our seasons of prayerlessness can really come with a high price. Real high price. It can lead us into a position of being deceived. You know, I, I understand prayer comes with a price. But there's a way higher price if you don't pray. I've lost count through the years of how many times, and I confess, I've let my heart get in the way even trying to shepherd this church. Someone is praying about this move or that move and, and my heart got in the way. Has your heart ever gotten your way? This seems right. This seems like there would be no harm. But you see, if it violates God's overall plan, then we can't somehow put enough fluff and feathers around it to fix it. My wife and other ladies here in our church, very, very, very gifted um, decorators. I've, I've watched my wife take just little styrofoam balls. Man, the next news you know, it's a wonderful arrangement. Little, little gold paint here, little glitter there. And, and they've taken nothing. A few sticks here, a few things there. And it seems like a masterpiece. And if we're not careful, we'll want to do those same things with wrong. Yeah. 
I know the basis of this is wrong. But maybe if we highlight it over here and we put a little glitter on it over here and maybe if we just fix it up and prop it up and shine the lights on it just right, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Oh, I just feel a warning siren in my spirit to tell you today it's not okay. It's not okay. I need prayer first. Amen. Only God, only God knows the way that we should take. Amen. My advice today, and I believe if we could have somehow summoned Joshua to be here with us this morning, I believe he would hold this mic and say, pray first. Pray first. Don't just embrace it because it looks right. Don't just bring it into your life because it makes sense for the moment. Because you see, at the end of the day, if it's really going to separate us from things and principles, then I can't do that. What will it hurt? Maybe time will be the only thing to tell. But who will, who will be wounded in the process? And if just one is wounded, that will be too many. My Lord, I feel a sweet presence of the Holy Ghost here today. I feel a sweet presence of the Lord here today. Amen. Lord, I love you now, and I'm asking you to touch us and strengthen us. Oh, God, help us to remove everything out of our life that doesn't need to be there. Your word teaches us to walk circumspectly. Oh, that's not a suggestion. Lord, that is a command that we walk carefully, that we selectively choose where we're going to place our feet. Another writer said that, that we ponder the path of our feet. Let us not walk randomly, arbitrarily through life, wishing for the best, hoping everything comes out well. But oh, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, strengthen us now. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.